0: That was one of the wake-up calls for me, to realize it was not fulfilling, something that really made me passionate and excited to go to work. We all need a paycheck, but this was something that was just, it was sticking with me, it was jarring, and it was a moment that I realized I needed to start shifting directions and figure out how to, how to get somewhere that was really going to, to make a difference in my day-to-day.
1: From and Career Coaching, it's How I Got You a show about business leaders, their resilience, and the stories behind their career moves. I'm Vincent Fanfan, and I've interviewed thousands of job candidates over the years in both recruiting and as a former corporate executive. Now, I'm on a mission to help you take the next step in your career. A corporate job opening attracts an average of 250 resumes, and just one person is going to get hired. It wasn't all that long ago that I was nervous and frustrated by my job search, but it doesn't have to be this way you can navigate your career with confidence, spend every day learning, and drive to better yourself. You can be excited about the future. In today's show, we meet Sarah Badrunis, a senior project manager and recruiter at Tesla, a company that needs no introduction. Sarah has worked at Tesla for almost four years, focusing on workforce development and the skilled trades, but we share a lot in common. Where growing up, the message was always go to school, get accepted into a four-year college, get your degree, and then start a great job, right? But we both graduated about two years apart, right towards the end of the Great Recession. And that led to something else that Sarah and I both have in common. After we graduated from a University of California school with that coveted four-year degree, we both had a job where it was our responsibility to remember somebody else's coffee order.
0: They had wanted coffee, which is one of my administrative duties was to give everyone coffee when they came in. And, you know, they were probably not aware of how their tone sounded, but they were barking around. They wanted three creams, four sugars. And I had this moment when I stepped out of the building after that and I said, what am I doing?
1: Sarah, like many of my friends I know that graduated around the same time, had multiple industry changes that eventually led her to Tesla. She started, though, in healthcare after college, transitioned into sales and operations for a high-end fitness company, and then became a project coordinator for a new construction project in San Francisco. But nothing was aligning with her life mission until she started working at Tesla. The story starts before then, though, so let's back up a little bit.
0: I grew up in Campbell, California, which is in the South Bay of the Bay Area. And at the time, uh, what really strikes me was it was all orchards. When I drove to school every day in the morning with my mom and my brother, once he was old enough, we were passing small businesses called car dealership and orchards. And that's not something that you really think about when you hear the Bay Area these days. So growing up, in that location in the 90s, it was truly a different sort of way of living.
1: I can relate to this growing up in Orange County, California, seeing strawberry fields every summer as we drive a few miles away from home. These large plots of land actually serve as offices now for companies like Mazda, Toyota, Kia, Mitsubishi and Hyundai. And 20 miles away from Campbell, California is Palo Alto, where Tesla is located. Earlier this year, the company announced that it produced its one millionth electric car, becoming the first automotive maker to achieve this milestone. So there's definitely been a change in the South Bay in the past 10 years.
0: And what what came from it with the dot-com bus and all the roles in engineering and the large tech companies coming in over time and evolving it into what it is now was not something that we as a family anticipated when my parents were were living there, having us, and we were growing up.
1: Tell me a little bit about how your parents impacted who you are today.
0: My mother is New York born and raised and uh, was the former editor of the Silicon Valley Business Journal. So she was an amazing uh, idol and person to look up to and emulate growing up. A really strong, independent, fierce Jewish woman. And a lot of my traits definitely come from her. And I'm I'm certainly proud of it. Um, and then she had eventually come out to California when she met my dad uh, when they were in their 20s. And she came out because she had she'd come out for a wedding. And she was doing her graduate work at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland at the time, it was snowed in constantly, and all of a sudden saw sunshine and palm trees in Literally packed up her car and made the move. <laughs> so it, yeah, it was it was something for her where she just said, "I've always wanted to live in Southern California, and I, what am I doing in Cleveland?" And so she she made the move, met my dad, and my dad uh, actually was originally born in Canada. And he's a twin. He's an identical twin. And when they were about six or seven years old, the family made the hop over the border and came to Arizona and then eventually landed in Santa Monica, California. And that's eventually where my parents met. But I am first generation college for his side. Um, he does have a high school diploma, uh, but his, his dad, my grandfather worked in the trades. He was kind of a a handyman, jack of all trades, you know, he did everything from carpentry to plumbing, construction, you name it. Um, and then my, my grandma on that side was a homemaker. So, and then they, I think they worked at a drugstore together. So, you know, really just seeing that hustle for them, being able to provide for him and his brothers, there were four of them and, uh, you know, it's just, it's been incredible to be able to make them proud, quite honestly.
1: And as you were growing up in this family with influences all around you, what did you think you were going to do with your career?
0: I at one point want to be a veterinarian and then I wanted to be a teacher. And at one point I wanted to be president, uh, which I don't know anyone that wants to do that my hats off to them. That's a tough job these days. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I kind of found my way as I went because I had basically three other industry changes before landing at Tesla. So I had to spend a lot of time figuring out what I didn't like to really <laughs> fully understand my life's purpose and what made me want to get out of bed in the morning.
1: How do you feel like your parents shaped who you were growing up and I guess who you've become today?
0: I was shaped by my parents living in a place that a lot of times was predicated your success was predicated on how many initials were after your last name meaning how many degrees you'd gotten, mm-hmm. how much extra schooling you had done and I was never raised like that and I I really commend them for for taking the time to make sure that it was important for me to understand who I needed to be as a person and that education wasn't the catch-all that would determine that. Now, education was still extremely important coming from a Jewish family um, you know, where you always had the stereotype of Jews always becoming lawyers, doctors, or bankers, um, but it was never forced on me. There was never any pressure to go down one of those paths. It was learn who you are, be your own person, And no matter what we do, no matter what you do, we are proud of you, we support you, and we want you to shine. And I feel so fortunate I was raised in an environment like that, especially in a part of the country where there's so much constant pressure to innovate and create and be the top student in the class and, you know, it just, it never really ends. It's my mom always says it's a rat race and the the rats are winning. And it really (laughs) is true in the Bay area. It can be really hard. So I I never felt that pressure from them. And, And I think it's pretty extraordinary seeing what, what that area has turned into and how I don't feel like I, I had to stay, you know, constantly chasing after something, you know, that might've been a goal of theirs that might not necessarily been a goal of mine.
1: What do you think the most important thing is that you've learned in your life? And, you know, before you knew that, like, what was your life like?
0: It's okay to fail and it's okay to not make the right decision. The first time, as long as you're learning a lesson from said decision or from the outcome that came from whatever you did. I think sometimes people almost have a analysis paralysis these days where they're so concerned that they might be making the wrong choice. They're almost stuck in the middle and not making a decision is making a decision incidentally. So it's okay to dive in and learn and see if maybe there was something there that stuck that you can carry with you, whether it's a lesson, something in your career you liked or didn't like, something in a relationship that doesn't feel healthy or good or did feel healthy or good. These aren't, I I feel like failures are always painted in a bad way. And it's really not true because you cannot become who you will be in that really amazing best version of yourself unless you have these experiences and these moments. And I think it's very hard also when you're younger to have that confidence to know it's okay unless you happen to be lucky enough to be surrounded by friends, family, or mentors that tell you that. And then you have your first speed bump and you stumble and you fall on your face and you get up, brush yourself off and go, oh. I'm okay. Yeah, people were right. So, yeah. I, you know, I just, I'm so thankful I've had that. Um, I, w- I would say that before I knew that, it, you know, you and I have talked about how it was very challenging coming out of college for undergrad after the recession. And that really compounded Understanding who I was understanding how to learn and make mistakes and grow. And when I got out of college, I went out to Washington DC and I grew up a lot because I was out of my California bubble. I was living in a place I really didn't know a lot of individuals, family, friends, or otherwise. And I was in an industry that was challenging because it was healthcare and I worked in ophthalmology where when people are that sick. It's in their eyes. They're unfortunately typically very ill, and it can be a challenging workplace to go in day in, day out. uh, But you're also helping people, which I was always really passionate about.
1: You know, something that like really stands out to me is you put so much thought into the direction that you're going to go in in your career. And the reality is, is that it's kind of one stepping stone that gets you to the next. But at the moment, it almost at many times feels like you're making a forever decision.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it, it seems very monumental. Uh, is this the right job I should be going to? What if I should have applied elsewhere? You know, am I doing the right thing? And I, I hear that a lot from, from, from folks that are coming out of college or, or recent graduates or are about to hit their senior year. And it, it just, it's hard to relay that just do something and go somewhere and then that will lead you to where you ultimately want to be, but you have to start somewhere. You can't just imagine that you're going to go to the perfect place and just land the right career and trajectory and job the first time. For some, that happens, and congratulations to them, but for most of us, it does not. And, <laughs> um, you know, the, the journey is a little messy, but that's also what makes it interesting and fun. And, you know, it's something you can then share with others so they can learn from you.
1: And the journey, just isn't always linear you know there's forwards there's backwards there's sideways as part of it and that's just always part of the journey you know you mentioned earlier the safe to fail are there moments for you as you reflect back on the past 10 years where there was a moment in time where you just thought wow like this was just a huge mistake and like what did you take away from that and how did that shape you
0: I actually have an exact moment. It was my role before Tesla. I was working as a project coordinator for a new construction project in San Francisco. Um, I had been back in the Bay Area for, at that point, maybe two years after eventually making my way back up north from Los Angeles. And that role I took because I had been working uh, for uh, Equinox Fitness, a high-end fitness company, prior to that. And it was a challenging environment from a burnout standpoint. It was very go 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 they're open 365 days a year so there's never really a break or a reset button working in the higher end retail essentially that's really what they were i had to categorize them and so i i switched gears and i went to the project coordinator role and within six months i was no longer burnt out but i realized at that point i was frankly a little bored and i remember standing in this alleyway that was at the back door of the office that faced uh, one of the major streets in in SOMA in San Francisco, and I, someone, a broker, had just come in. They had wanted coffee, which is one of my administrative duties, was to give everyone coffee when they came in. And you know, they were probably not aware of how their tone sounded, but they were barking around. They wanted three creams, four sugars, and I had this moment when I stepped out of the building after that, and I said, What am I doing? How did I get here? Why did I go to college to make someone coffee with three creams and four sugars? and um that was one of the wake-up calls for me to realize it was not fulfilling something that really made me passionate and excited to go to work we all need a paycheck but this was something that was just it was sticking with me it was jarring and it was a moment that i realized i needed to start shifting directions and figure out how to how to get somewhere that was really going to to make a difference in my day-to-day
1: yeah uh... I think back, that reminds me, it's kind of funny how like that exact coffee order has stuck with you throughout all these years, (laughs) right? And I have the exact same thing. I had a job at one point where it was my job to remember tall iced quad caramel macchiato, less milk, more ice. This is literally the coffee order of somebody that I got coffee for every single day. And this was after I had a college degree as well, but it, it... just makes me think that it's part of the journey. Like there's a humility to it. And something that I've kind of learned throughout my career is, you know, at, at if at any point you feel like a job task or a job responsibility is beneath you, I think that's a problem regardless of what role you end up being in because it all ends up being just kind of part of the journey. Like, What did you do next though? You had that day, you walked out of work, you had that moment of realization. Like where did you go from there in terms of, how you are thinking about progressing through your next steps.
0: Yeah, well, incidentally, this was similar to the same time as the 2016 election. And that was really the last nail in the proverbial coffin for me was I said, okay, everything can change the drop of a hat. I have to go somewhere. where day in and day out I'm making a difference. So with that factor compounding that one moment I was having in my role, in my job at that point in time, within probably a few weeks, I was scouring LinkedIn to try and figure out what my next move was going to be. I was checking to see what my connections were doing. And sure enough, uh, someone I'd worked with at Equinox had recently gone over to Tesla. And I mean recently, like within a week, she had just changed her headline on her LinkedIn. And I immediately thought, Tesla, Elon, huh. I never really thought about that. And he's cool. Those cars are cool. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to see what that looks like. And I, I sent her a message on LinkedIn and we, we were able to connect about what those opportunities might be like, at least on the recruiting side, because she had seen me work and she knew what I was capable of, but also knew based on my experiences that I didn't have certain job titles on my resume that were going to not allow me to potentially go into roles that I would eventually be capable of. But given the amount of external interest, you know, on top of everyone looking to go into potentially one, you know, a role that only has one opening, um, I knew I'd become an entry level. And so that's what we were trying to figure out. And that's how I ended up interviewing for the recruiting coordinator role for that old colleague's team.
1: Yeah. And these experiences along the way, because as you link kind of one experience to the next, then your relationship are ultimately what led you to working at Tesla. And I think a a lot of people are feeling that way right now if they're graduating from college in the class of 2020, where, you know, when they started, college is like one of the best economies that the U.S. has had in a while. And then, you know, the dichotomy of, you know, literally months before graduation, everything changes. And you had kind of alluded to you know, it's this premium retail and nobody goes to college to plan to go into a job in retail. I had a similar experience where I found myself after graduating from UCLA, taking an hourly role, working a customer service counter, not too different than your front desk at Equinox, but I worked a customer service counter at a Best Buy. Um, And, you know, it's kind of funny looking back and I guess it's taken 10 years of pain over the course of 10 years to now like come to this realization of, yeah, but that's what allowed me and unlocked like these different opportunities and relationships that really paid off later on in the career. do you feel that way now today, looking back on it? Because I'm sure at the time, you know, it wasn't fun getting these certifications, learning these specific languages, um, and thinking that you were on a specific, a specific path.
0: Yeah i would not be where i am now if i had not taken all of those certain steps specifically spending the time at equinox and working my way from front desk associate to kids club manager on duty and then front desk manager on duty and then i went into sales and i sold memberships and then i actually transferred with equinox up to san francisco and worked there um, as an operations manager for my last six-ish months of tenure with the company before then going over to the project coordinator role um, while, you know, still being in San Francisco and whether I was at three different locations for Equinox and but all out of all those three locations, I still have contacts there that have led to whether it was getting me into Tesla, me actually getting some of these folks into Tesla after the fact, once I was there, um, you know, they, one of those, uh, contacts in san francisco actually got me my first apartment in san francisco that allowed me to you know not have to be commuting hundred miles round trip from the south bay into san francisco because when i moved back from la um while i was still trying to figure out my transfer with equinox i was living at home and that was really tough i was never the person i thought that was going to be 27 and living at home that is a hard pill to swallow and, um, but all those contacts and those people from those locations from the same company, I, I look back and I can literally pinpoint exactly how I got to where I am because of them.
1: And, you know, a lot of people get really frustrated by networking. They find that job searches and networking are really frustrating. They think that they have to, you know, dress in business casual, go to these formal networking events, cocktail hours, you know, this is during non coronavirus times but the reality of it is like the network that you used was literally like the people around you day to day.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up because that almost reminds me of what I felt was required of me when I lived in DC. And I never felt like I quite fit in in the city per se because I was in healthcare. And I wasn't working on the Hill. I wasn't in politics. I wasn't working for a think tank and I had so many friends or, you know, just acquaintances or peers or what have you that were spending time doing that, you know, putting on a cocktail dress, going to a gala. Um, It it was something that never really spoke to me. It didn't feel authentic, but I also recognized it was important for them to continue to progress in their careers, but I didn't know how to make it work for me. And I, I knew that it just, it wasn't, what i was looking to do um in the long term you know if a role required me to put on a cocktail dress and schmooze at a gala i don't know if i was in the right place and i took that really to heart and i really tried to be authentic with when i was applying to places based around their mission statement and what they stood for and what industry they were a part of before i really even you know looked to just try and get my foot in the door
1: so tell me about you know you've been on the other side of the table now In the recruiting coordinator role as a recruiter in a more senior recruiter role and now in your senior project uh management role like what are the top mistakes that you've seen job seekers make in a job search
0: it's interesting because it it sort of changes based on what's going on in the economy because it's been flip-flop right from being uh unemployment rates are really low so it's very hard for employers because they're actively trying to find people and people aren't looking to jump or they were just looking for compensation changes. And now you have the opposite going on where uh, it's actually almost twofold because you don't have a ton of jobs on the market or you have jobs in areas that people never thought they would be a part of and weren't looking to initially, you know, get their foot into. And then employers have a little bit, I don't want to say the upper hand because it's not the right term, but they, they do have more applicants than they have openings at this point. And so they're going to have, the ability to be much more particular and nitpicky when they're looking to see who really is the most qualified because all of a sudden you have so many people in a bucket. So for me, you know, a disclaimer here, I'm not a technical recruiter like an engineering recruiter. Um, I don't do massive, you know, searches in, you know, an applicant tracking system. I don't have, you know, wizard Boolean threads to find people on LinkedIn anymore because what I do is very specialized. It's specific to, the automotive service industry, it's finding individuals that have uh, some sort of background, whether it's from schooling or professional experience or relevant military or combination of those things, and then bringing them into our technician training program. Um, So before I, you know, I think a lot about that very niche, you know, role and uh, profile I look for, I think about all the individuals that do reach out to us a lot on LinkedIn and are looking for advice And it's hard because every company is going to operate a little differently. I even was talking to a friend the other day who said she was told by numerous people that she should not apply to a position. She should first just go in as a referral, like kind of backdoor, and applying could almost hurt her, which at least I can say for Tesla, that's truly not the case. The worst case scenario is no one looks at your application for that specific role, but then down the road another recruiter could actually jump into that bucket and find your resume and contact you. So I personally am of the belief that it's really important to put your application out there, maybe not to 50 different roles in the company because you're going to look a little scattered. You wanna be you know, thoughtful and mindful of the areas and the roles and not flooding the ATS system with a bunch of applications, but you also don't know And so you cast a a wide enough net where you could fit in somewhere, especially if you don't have referrals or contacts to lean on. Because as we all know, how a job description is written and the reality of what the hiring manager is looking for can often not totally correlate, which can be extremely frustrating.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think the expectation that you put an application in and then you kind of like sit back is not a great one. But I completely agree with you. If you don't apply, uh, there is no road to getting that job. I mean, the only way you make it from applicant tracking system into the HR system, where literally your paycheck is going to be generated is through that applicant tracking system. So, you know, that will definitely be a step uh, along the way. You know, as people are go, like, what are the considerations for you going to Tesla that you were thinking about and like what type of research do you think people should do in general about companies as they're making to look uh as they're looking to make their next career moves
0: I think it's really important to a few things. Uh, the first is obviously understanding the history of the company, when they were founded. Are they private? Are they public? What are some of the stories that might go around them going public or staying private if you can find that information? You know, there is so much floating around these days on the internet. This was really hard. You know, 10, 15 years ago, even when there just was there was obviously Google, you know, we're not that old, but it was still not quite as readily as accessible as what we're seeing from search engines today. And, you know, I think it's really important then to take the time to do the homework regarding the history of the company. Uh, if you have a list of the interviewers or even, you know, sometimes LinkedIn lists the recruiter who oversees the role, just getting some background on who they are, whether it's looking on their LinkedIn, doing a quick search and seeing what comes up, maybe what other companies they were at and getting a sense of what their paths looked like. And, also being mindful about how you fit into that because that's typically a question that gets asked is you know why do you want to work here and you know for example we get the question or we get the we get the response frequently why do you want to work for tesla well electric vehicles are the future that is not wrong it's just extremely boilerplate so what we're really looking for is someone that can go into A little more depth about personally how working for Tesla speaks to them, or how Elon's mission, or how the company was founded and how it's been able to still stay alive through a lot of turmoil and adversity as the underdog. Those are the areas that we're typically looking for because it shows enthusiasm and passion and boy, you cannot work at Tesla if you are not passionate because everything boils down to the mission, which is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy.
1: And the story there is just so important, right? Your like your ability to be able to convey that passion. So I think about the Equinox story that you told before where the, the day that you literally walked out, And you had that light bulb moment that you were looking for the next thing. And I think that, you know, those are the types of things where even as you're speaking to people at companies, if you can get really visual about why you're excited and to be able to articulate that it's so much different than just saying, Oh, I'd be really excited to work here and not really bring that to life as you're saying.
0: Yeah. And there is a difference there between those two nuances and i know it's just sometimes just subtle enough where that doesn't sound like a lot but it truly shows up in spades i see it in you know hiring manager feedback pretty frequently when someone is so excited about an opportunity or about the company or the mission or whatever it might be it comes through um and if it's just i'm looking for another job we all need a paycheck i truly understand that i have had some very scary times Uh, where I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my bills other than my rent, you know, at a given month. And there still has to be something, though, that's propelling you in that interview or in that discussion that's showing at the end of the day, if you were to be hit with something very hard, you know, from that company in any sort of capacity, how are you going to deal with it? Is that positivity and optimism going to shine through? Are you going to find the silver lining? And those are truly things that interviewers really look to pick up on and being really excited can truly help show how you would be in the environment even once some of the initial magic wears off for the company.
1: That's a great point. I've been, You and I have both been in a recruiting coordinator role. I don't think I've ever sat in a debrief and had somebody go, you know, that candidate was just way too excited about working here. Like that has has never happened, but it's completely different than like dating, right? Because in dating, like you can definitely be over anxious and a little bit too excited, but that really doesn't apply in the job search.
0: I know. And people often equate going on a date to a job interview. So I understand how sometimes that gets a bit muddled, but it's so true. You know, I have talked to hiring managers after they go, whoa, that person was really excited or really enthusiastic but we're going to hire them. You know, it's never been like they're too totally. enthusiastic. I don't want to
1: hire them. All right. So two myths we're going to dispel right now. In a job search, in dating, you can absolutely be too excited and show too much excitement early on. That doesn't apply in a job search. The other place where I think it doesn't apply is research. In dating, if you're doing a ton of research about the person that you're about to go on a first date with, that could get a little creepy. Like everybody does it. <laughs> But it's like not something you show. It's not something you admit. But in a job search, the opposite holds true. Like if you've listened to the last earnings call, and you're going, oh, yeah, you know, so and so was talking about on the last earnings call this initiative to do X, Y, and Z, like that doesn't show, you know, a creepy level of research, if anything like that. Those are the things that really stand out.
0: Yeah, it's so funny you bring that up because my boyfriend and I have been dating for over a year and just the other week he just told me that he had been looking me up on LinkedIn and tried to find me like on Facebook before our first date and I had no idea. And I was like, wow, you know, I love you. That's a little crazy. I'm glad I didn't know that (laughs) until recently. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's the other thing too if a company has so much public material out there it's yours for the taking it's public it's been vetted every way possible you know over and under go look for it and it typically even with us sometimes it can be almost too overwhelming you can really go down a rabbit hole with how much information there is so the other piece i would say is think about the role and what relates to the role because some of the other feedback i've gotten if someone's excited, and that's great, but they're also then rambling on about like, let's say for my, for my program, you know, we're looking for service technicians that are going to work on customer cars, someone comes in, they don't say anything about the cars or the products on the road, and they only talk about solar. And that's important. That's a huge piece of the business. However, the role we are looking for has absolutely nothing to do with that. So I would just also be mindful of what research you are pulling in when you are having those discussions in an interview.
1: Today's episode has just flown by. But Sarah and I had a chance to sit down for almost two hours. And later on in our conversation, Sarah went deep, really deep on step by step, how she'd get a job today at Tesla, including how to apply, how to reach out, how to stand out and what it's like working for Elon. But one of my favorite parts of the next episode, though, is when Sarah shared exactly what her life purpose is and how she came to realize and not only to understand her purpose, but to ensure that her career moves are aligned with it. So check back tomorrow for part two of this episode with Sarah Badrinas. Okay, we'll see you back here soon. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If this podcast was helpful to you, the best thing that you can do to support is please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people just like you move towards the life that they desire. Visit our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, then scroll to the bottom tap the rate with five stars and just leave a sentence or two about what you loved most about this episode. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or you can write at hello at viton.com. I'm Vincent Fanvan and you've been listening to How I Got Here.